podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Did we play Charlton in the League Cup in this season as well? Yeah, we not? did, yeah. yeah. I barely touched on the Cups. Okay, yeah, we beat them 1-0 at the Valley, did we? Yeah, Chris Armstrong, that's right. I thought we did. You're in doubt. Can, the goal scorer was I remember at that game is the Mike Salmon was in goal for Charlton <laughs> and Nigel Martin was in goal for England. And the fans were singing Martin for England, Salmon for dinner. Very good. <laughs> and season years on, I can still remember it. Welcome along to this trip down memory lane. This season sees the 30th anniversary of the 1993-94 Division 1 title winning season. Palace team that has rightly gone down as one of the best in the club's history. Joining me to talk over that season with particular focus on key players such as Messrs Coleman, Southgate and Armstrong, matches of that season including the 5-1 smashing of Portsmouth, win at the Hawthorns that included a certain meatball header and the title clinching win at Ayrson Park, Two men who very much enjoyed that campaign, Adam Sells and Dominic Fifield. Selsey, thanks for joining. A season you remember fondly, I'm sure. Yes, I do, actually. I'm glad you dug up the old boys for this one. I don't suppose anyone else that contributes to these podcasts is actually old enough to remember it, apart from me and Dom. And I'm older than Dom, so that's not saying good things about me, but never mind. I'll take it as a roundabout compliment that you asked me, Jack, anyway. Don't worry. Well, you, but you it should... was. You two were top of my list. I'm most grateful for the, uh, I'm for the acceptance of the invite. <laughs> you never have me on your midweek pod, so I've got to get on there somewhere. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not mine, Selsey. <laughs> I'm just looking after it for a friend. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's just too busy naming, naming random footballers on Instagram. That's, that's Jim Daly. That's Jim his Daly's latest. latest thing, yeah, TikTok in vogue. Yeah. So, yeah. Right, okay. uh, Dom, feel like yesterday? 93? Summer of 93? It's, it's, it's really funny, that, because I... I have all these memories of the, of that season, and uh, you know the, some of it trips off the tongue, not least the meatball header. But I, I, I glanced at the the results on Wikipedia from from that year, and 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 some of it has completely escaped me. I mean, Selsey just mentioned the uh, the Charlton League Cup tie that we had that season, where we won convincingly, and I don't remember losing, getting hammered at home by Everton in the in the, in the next round of that competition. Likewise, I didn't recall. That this was actually a season where we competed in European competition, <laughs> and yet didn't actually leave South London in either of the two games that we played because we Indeed. appeared to be in an Anglo-Italian Cup tie against Charlton and Millwall, and must have finished second in that group because Charlton hammered us four-one at their place. Anglo-Italian so, Cup is is so nineteen ninety-three, isn't it? Just, isn't it? But Did we have an Italian memory. club? Was there not even an Italian club in the group? Was there not even a Padova? No, it's just, it looks like it's just, it's Charlton, Millwall and Palace. I mean, in that group, it's just remarkable, really. I mean, there's going to be some disappointed Italians who were denied a trip to South London by that draw. <laughs> <laughs> we played Charlton five times in this season. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my days. God, dear. That wasn't something I remembered particularly from it. Uh, so I wanted to dredge up the good and the bad memories for yourselves. Yeah. Today. Before we turn the clock back, some words from our friends at Green King Sports. 2024 is upon us, which means a packed schedule of FA Cup 
AFCON and, of course, Premier League action. Beat the January Blues and watch every game with the atmosphere it deserves down at your local Green King Sports pub. Don't settle for a dodgy stream. If it's on the telly, it's on your local Green King across their huge HD screens. If you download the Green King Sports app, you'll also receive 10% off every single drink whenever there's a game on. Their venues offer a range of low and non-alcoholic options, so dry January doesn't mean you have to settle for a worse sports-watching experience. We'd also like to thank our patrons for their continued support. If you would like to support FYP and gain access to the post-match pods, often in the company of these fine gents, as well as other rewards, please visit patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Um, for context, especially maybe for, for younger listeners, a few cultural references of the time. Gabrielle was number one with Dreams, soon to be knocked off the top spot by Culture Beats Mr. Vane. Film lovers were queuing round the block for Jurassic Park, which proved to be the biggest selling film of the year. And Graham Taylor's England team were not in a good place, struggling in the US Cup, a warm-up for USA 94, a tournament they wouldn't even qualify for. Did we um, lose 2-0 in that game? We lost, we lost to the States. Three games. Yeah, we lost, we, yeah, we lost to the States. 2-0, yeah. and Alexi Lalas was the goal scorer, was he? Mm. I mean, I was I was four Selzy, so I can't really remember. Where that did beard. thirty years go? <laughs> Where did thirty years go? It's In my case, around my waist, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to say it was a few stone ago and quite a few teeth ago as well. It was. <laughs> yeah, quite incredible to be invited for the warm up for a major tournament that we ended up not even qualifying for. That's pretty good going by uh, by the English FA. Um, before we do get into the highs of 93-94, um, it would be remiss of us to not mention how the previous season ended um, and what followed that pre-season. Selzy, relegation at Highbury must have been pretty sobering for all fans only three years on from, from the cup final and all that. And saw the end of Steve Coppel's first spell as, as Palace manager with his number two, Alan Smith, um, who we will talk about a little bit later, taking the reins. What else do you recall from kind of the end of that 92-93 season into the summer? Well, it was a pretty painful ending. So painful that 30 years later, my missus, who was born in 1980 in Philadelphia, PA, knows that Oldham 93, <laughs> but she just does it in a very bad South London accent, gets reeled out about February, March time every season as we look at the table and think we might be safe and never count our blessings. So Oldham 93 gets an airing every season, somewhere between February and April about how dangerous it could be and how we shouldn't take anything for granted. But it, I have to say, I think it was hard to believe. Don might remember this, and I, I might. I, this, this is obviously 30-odd years ago, so I'm, you know, I, I might say, you have a memory, but you always doubt that whether some of your recollections are, are quite as, as you think they are. But I think we played Ipswich at home with about two games to go. Yeah. And beat them 3-1, I think. And the players did a lap of appreciation around the pitch for the fans. It was the last game of the season, but it was pretty much to signify that we were safe from relegation. You were eight I points that, clear going into the last week. I was going to say, eight points clear of Oldham. And they had three games left. I think they were against Manchester. Uh, sorry, Aston Villa away who were fighting Manchester United for the title that very weekend. Bailey and Atkinson season. I think they played Liverpool at home in the midweek and then Southampton at home on the last day of the season, I think. 
We had an eight-point gap. We played Manchester City in midweek at Main Road and then Arsenal away on the Sunday, the week before they're playing Sheffield Wednesday in the cup final. So they're going to take it easy and field a weaker team and, and not go too hard on us. So we're going to be all right here. And it, it, my, my biggest memory of that week was drawing nil-nil at Main Road. And I think Paul Williams missed an absolute sitter that season, uh, that game, sorry, uh, that would have kept us up. I just, rem- I can't remember it well, but just remembering that he should have scored and we'd be safe. And um, weirdly, when I was in the services on the way back, I saw Steve Koppel in the petrol station when I was filling up the car. And uh, he did have the look of a rather worried man, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, by by the Wednesday night and uh, after the Liverpool, so Oldham had played. Uh, sorry, Oldham had played at Villa and won there on the Sunday one nil. I think is this right, Dom? Am I yeah, right? One nil. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ian was it Ian Olney, the former Aston Villa player that scored as well for Oldham. I think you're right. Yeah. And they've ended up beating them one 0 at Villa Park to to clinch the title for Manchester United. Right. Um, the week before the end of the season, I think that was the season where Fergie and Brian Kidd was on the were on the pitch, sliding on his knees against Sheffield Wednesday and all that sort of stuff. For those that have seen that a million times on Sky, that are young enough not to know what nonsense we're talking about here. Um, but the uh, so the, the, the game against uh, Liverpool in the week, I think they beat them 3-2 or 3-0, I can't remember. So that set us up to go to, with the draw at, at um, Man City, we had a three-point advantage going into the final game and uh, at Highbury. And Ian Wright, I think, opened the scoring and they dicked us 3-0. I think Oldham beat Southampton 4-3 on the final day of the season. Did, yeah. There were some dubious decisions there as well. I think we might have stayed up with VAR in those days. But uh, as it was, we went down and it was the end of an era, really. But again, it was coming. It was absolutely coming when I say it was coming. 1991, we'd finished third our highest ever position in the top flight of English football. And we had a very, very strong side. And it was very modern in its in its setup. We had Jeff Thomas and Andy Gray, who were loved by everybody at Crystal Palace, not by everybody outside of Sellers Park, I would say. They were tough and uncompromising, but they were the real two of the first real modern-day midfield players. They could get around the pitch, they could play, they were physical, they could do the lot. You had Eddie McGoldrick and John Salako, Ian Wright and Mark Bright, Nigel Martin, and the regular back four, John Humphrey, Andy Thorne, Eric Young, and generally Richard Shaw playing left-back, although that was always probably the most contentious position in the team, I'd say, Dom, in those days, wasn't it, about who should play 
we had Paul Bowden and Chris Powell and people like that that uh, Steve Cobble would often overlook. But where I say to you it was coming, we the following season we sold Ian Wright, Mark Bright, everything sort of drifted away. I think we we ended up playing with Chris Coleman and Mark Bright as a pairing up front at one oh point. God. And then um, the, the, the summer... I think we finished thirteenth, so we've gone from third to thirteenth. Well, finished tenth, actually. It's our second highest it, ever finish was it in tenth? the history was of our okay. yeah, yeah. In our but it was tenth. Uh, I knew uh, maybe it's tenth, and I was thinking we dropped ten places. That's probably where I'm getting mixed up. Um, we'll let you off that one, Selzy. No, it's your first strike of the night. Long time ago. This is none of this is research, by the way. This is just coming out the top of my head. Um, so we. Um, we ended up sort of with, uh, I think that summer after we dropped seven places, sort of Steve saying, oh, I'm really happy with the squad. And I, Don might remember this because he's a stato, but I don't think we signed a single player, did we, that summer after we finished that that, uh, that season. I'm, I'm really keen to avoid any reference to modern day in this podcast. Yeah. But there there are mean, some there bells ringing parallels, here, Selzy. There are a few parallels here, you know. Your best player leaving, not signing any replacements, <laughs> taking a bit for granted, and uh, there you go. Um, so we ended up that season then struggling again, always to score goals. I think this I'll, being the I'll first might... Premier League season, Celsius, as well, 92 93. Yes. This is 92 93, right? And I've got a feeling again, I'll, I'll refer to uh to Dominic Stato Firefield, who hasn't got his glasses or paisley pyjamas on tonight. But the um, did we have something like the third best defensive record in the league that season and got relegated? All I remember is we had 49 points. Um, and yeah. and we had, we basically, we, we, we st- the problem was that we started that season. We shouldn't really be talking about this season, obviously, because we're meant to be talking about the next we'll, season. We'll come on but to it. <laughs> we, we did start that season with four draws so no one really knew how good we were or how bad we were um and they were creditable draws as well i mean all things considered you know away at away at spurs and at home to sheer inspire blackburn etc but then you lose three um and you lose mark bright because we sold him to sheffield wednesday in that in that little period um and 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 suddenly it's not looking quite so clever we'd, we'd only won one league game going into december but then in December we won all five. We won five games on the bounce, and you thought, oh, okay, we're fine again now. January we lost every single match. It was just one of those ridiculous higgledy piggledy seasons where we never really got properly clear, and forty nine points was enough to to have us relegated. There's, in, in a, a, there's a retro Wimbledon fan account on YouTube who have uploaded the whole Sky oh. coverage of our away day at Selhurst Park against Wimbledon, where we oh, lose terrific. four now. Oh, I yes. think, that was on Good Friday, I think, when it yeah, yeah it live, live on Sky, live on Sky. So, oh, it was you know, you're, you're bringing me down here, lads, talking about 92, 93. But we that's mustn't talk about that because that's not, yeah, that's not relevant. But Dom, I will ask you because obviously fans now associate relegation with fire sales and losing a load of players, but actually, we didn't lose that many despite relegation to the second tier. Do you do you remember who who stayed? Who yeah, went? I mean, look. So Jeff Thomas, who was going to join Blackburn for three and a half million pounds at the start of the previous season, ended up 
um, leaving, he stayed that year and then left for 800 grand to Wolves, who were in the same division as us. Um, And Eddie McGoldrick, who'd had a very good scoring season, he got double figures, didn't he, Selzy, in that that 1993? I think Ron Nodes gave him a goal. He he, he never scored any goals, Eddie. He (laughs) was a sort of dribbler. He was a sort of really nice footballer on the eye. Probably fair to say not the bravest. If we played Nottingham Forest and Stuart Pearce was on the other side, he rarely crossed the halfway line. <laughs> um, but the Eddie was a good player. Very, very silky in possession, I would say. Snake hips would wriggle around and go past people. What you probably call really old-fashioned winger, I would probably say. Yeah. Um, but a good player, Eddie. And, um, he left to join Arsenal. Yeah, he went to Arsenal, but he was also, rather weirdly, absolutely tremendous playing in a back three or back five yeah, as a sweeper. sweeper. Yeah, that was it. And Anfield. he was Ms. Beckenbauer, honestly. And um, he could do it very, very well. Um, and Ron, I think, gave him this goal bonus because he never got more than a few goals a season and sort of flattered to deceive a little bit. And this season, he... He got ten. I think he was like, oh, was he our top scorer? I think Chris Armstrong might have just pipped right, him. He, got, he say, certainly got double figures. Because we bought him at the end of August. And I remember Chris Armstrong, I think, played his first game at Old Trafford. And it was the night that Dion Dublin broke his leg, I think, Old Trafford. And we lost 1-0 in the 93rd minute, typically. Um, but we were all sort of quite excited that we had this player that, that suddenly everyone thought, wow, this bloke can run, he can edit, he's the fastest bloke you've ever seen, powerful. I mean, he again was probably a little bit ahead of his time because everything in those days, Jack, were were uh, pairings of strikers, right and bright being uh, obviously particularly significant for us. But this was the first bloke that would have been one of the modern ones now that would play as the number nine and be able seen, to do absolutely everything. You know, you've seen my question, Selzy. That's going to be let's let's go to August '93. Let's let's get to. Well, can I just add one concept. thing? Go on, Dom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, just 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 on that because we sold Eddie and and Jeff. The, the thing that the parallel with now, <laughs> arguably, is we didn't sign a single player. We didn't sign a single player in that summer, going into a into the a first division campaign, Ensley Ensley Football League. Um, and not only did we not sign a single player, we didn't go in. We didn't even have a shirt sponsor going into that season. Um, it was, I think, Tulip Computers. Presumably, that that deal had expired, so we didn't have. It's like TDK came in when we were top of the league, pretty much. Um, Glory you imagine what the outcry would have been now had. Um, imagine social media back then when Palace get relegated. Okay, they did brilliantly to keep. You know, the defence, primarily, Nigel Martin, England International, um, Andy Thorne, who was club captain, um, although he his season wouldn't amount to much, Eric Young, I mean, far more so than Chris Coleman, who was still a fringe player at that time. Mm. Um, but there was a, a, that was a nucleus of a, 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 a platform for us to build on. John Humphrey at right back still, you know, a veteran of that team that had finished third in the top division. So, so... Retaining those players was significant, but to not sign a single player, um, I mean, the well, I mean, the the it would have been proper, proper calamity. That, that was lost on me. 
that that was lost on me. I hadn't realised we we didn't sign a player. Let let's go back to August '93 and, and let's start the season. Start the season fairly dismally, actually. A goalless draw at home to Tranmere and then suffered a two-nil defeat at Bristol City. The Palace got their season started with two statement wins in front of the Palace faithful in the space of four days against Nottingham Forest and Portsmouth. Two games that you both separately mentioned to me when we were talking about doing this episode. So, Dom, I'll come to you first because you, you mentioned the Forest game. Forest have been relegated along with Palace the season before, but how big a performance was that one against a much-fancied Forest side that featured current England internationals as well as a, a couple of future England internationals? Absolutely. I mean, look, we were the two teams that were expected to compete for promotion out of, out of that division because we had been relegated the previous year. Forest were a big, big club. They just parted company with with Brian Clough that that summer. They were they signed Stan Collimore, ex Palace, mm. a player that we'd sold to Southend for 150 grand, and he'd gone to Forest for 2.3 million that that summer. He was a big signing for them. Um, Palace hadn't scored a goal in their first two matches, and I remember that Forest game because. Throughout that, all my years supporting Crystal Palace, and I've seen some great wins in that time. That is the best and most complete performance I've ever seen from a Crystal Palace team. It was just, oh, oh, oh. it was What's just, that is, by the way. it was unbelievable. We, we, and I looked, at the, I watched the highlights because you can see the highlights on 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 YouTube, and actually, it it doesn't look that impressive on that performance, but because I, there were a succession of Palace chances that 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 weren't taken but we we swarmed all over forest we had the, we had this we had eric young carrying this header in craning his neck muscles and absolutely thumping this trademark header from a corner in um, early on to give us a lead was in short this time Bowery playing it back in again towards young <laughs> eric young gives crystal palace the lead 17 minutes gone He's so difficult to combat in these situations. Look how much higher he climbed than the others. And that was a great header. And then Nigel Martin plucking one out of the top left-hand corner to deny Collymore his first Suarez goal. An absolutely amazing header from Collymore. This looks completely innocuous, but it's perfectly placed. And he gets to it. And then this this previously unheard of left-back at Palace, who no one really knew anything about, some kid called Dean or something, takes a f- smashes a free kick through um, Selzy's mate Mark, Mark Crosley to give us a, make it 2-0 to, to Palace. It looks like the free kick's going to be teed up for young Dean Gordon to hit it. Superb shot, but Mark Crossley in the Forest goal will look back on that and think he ought to have done better. It was fiercely struck, straight at him though. He really hit that one well. The wall was parted. Well, perhaps I've been a bit harsh on the goalkeeper there, but nonetheless, the sheer ferocity of that shot beat the goalkeeper who got one hand to it but couldn't keep it out it, it was just we were brilliant that night it was a midweek game we were and it was like it was as if that the penny had dropped at bristol city that we had to raise our level still to compete in this division if we were gonna live up to this tag of being one of the favorites for promotion then we gotta we've got to show that we've got some pedigree and and that night we stamped authority all over nottingham forest and, I, and i'll stay with stick with it now it's the best 
90 minute performance I've ever seen from a Crystal Palace team. That is one hot take, Dom. Against a decent team, against a good team, against a good team. That was, uh, I mean, in terms of, in terms of dominating a match and absolutely, you look at it and think, well, we're not going to lose this. We're going to win this convincingly. Dom, a team that two years later would have qualified for the UEFA Cup finishing third in the Premier League. Yeah. And in fact, you know, beat us home and away the following season in the Premier League. In the Premier League. Yeah, it was... Um, Frank Chelsea, Clark was the manager when he done at that yeah, point. He was, yeah, Frank Clark, right. yeah, I was yeah. gonna say. No, Chelsea, I, 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 go on. Go on, I was gonna say that I, I I remember the Forest game, I think a bit. Dean Gordon's goal was it like through a def- wall at a free kick or something? Yeah, he went straight through straight yeah. through Crosley, straight through. Yeah, but, I, but it, say, I think it I was just remember. sort of an announcement, wasn't it? It's was like Dean Gordon, this kid who's playing left back in this team. And he absolutely leathered it. And it was it was like a proper announcement to the world that this kid's going to go places. We had Richard Shaw, the aforementioned Richard Shaw, played in central midfield that night and was, yeah. was actually brilliant. I mean, it was... It, it, yeah, there were performances all over that pitch. It was Dean Dwight else. Gordon of St Mary's School in Croydon. And I was telling Jack a story that uh, he came with me to watch Powley play for South End around this time when he was there. And he met me at East Croydon Station, left his car there, and I drove there. And when we got back, he was looking for his keys in his pocket, realised he didn't have them. And when he got out of the car, he'd left them on the roof of his car. And when we got back, neither the keys nor the car were there <laughs> any longer. <laughs> well... So there you go. We'll have a few more of those anecdotes as we go, Selzy. Welcome back to this special episode of the FYP podcast, looking back at the successful 1993-94 season. Sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. But Chelsea, last uh, week you told me the Pompey 5-1 a few days later mm-hmm. was one of your favourite ever Palace matches. It was. And, it you, was, it, it and, was and the you sure. like to remind someone of kit. that of that game <laughs> every so we often. Talked to, we talked about that kit and I, on numerous occasions when he was at the club. I mean, the first game, Tramia, I was really quite positive. Um, Alan Smith... I don't know how well you know Smithy, right? But he was somebody I was very fond of. When I, I went into Palace as a kid when I was 17 or 18, so it was 87 or 88, I can't remember. He was the youth team manager and he was very good to me and he liked me a lot. And I, But he's one of these blokes, Alan, and he's my kind of fella. And when I say he's my kind of fella, He's a very upbeat, positive, you know, he, I'm not surprised that we had success in this season because he had this ability to talk about everybody and everything in such a positive, if you played for him, you'd feel like you wanted to do well for him. You know, he was this guy that made you feel very special. And in fact, I, I would probably say that, he had quite an influence over me in the fact that even when I was doing stuff further on with our youth team in the noughties and, and, and so on, that I took a very positive 
approach in the same way in the way that I dealt with people, which I think would be partly down to him, really, because I just like he he made everybody feel good. He made everybody special. And he was a very positive, upbeat fella. There was no knocking Smithy down. You know, he was quite bullish, but in a good way and a positive way. And after a couple, the Bristol City game was Aston Gate. We got beat 2-0. Wasn't great. And, you know, but I was, a, I was a bit of a disciple, really, of Smithy. So I would have said to you I was quite a believer early on. As Dom's just talked about the Forest game, along came the Portsmouth game, which was a, a mad game of football. And oh, okay. probably, as I said to you, one of the best I can remember at Crystal Palace, just because my early recollection of the game was that we were right under the cosh early on, like really under the cosh. And uh, we they played really well, Pompey, and came out flying. And they had lots of chances, and I think they went in front. And I'm trying to think who scored. It might have been Warren Neal or somebody like that. Anyway, Great goal for Warren Neal, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, 30 years later, and I'm still recalling that. I need to see a doctor. Um, We're here for the Palace goals, though. So Sorry. Anyway, (laughs) and then you saw some of the best goals you'll ever see in one game of football. A glorious hat-trick from Chris Armstrong. And Gareth Southgate's goal, which I've seen a few times that Palace have pushed out on social media from on occasion, where he carries the ball from just outside the penalty box and travels and travels and travels. <laughs> just remember going, seeing him do it, going, shoot, you know, thinking, where's this going? <laughs> and it ended up in the top bin. <laughs> Great play by Gareth Southgate. Williams and Armstrong ahead of him. And Eric Young in a lot of space on the right. Tremendous shot by Southgate. That's got to be one of the goals of the season. There's no answer to a goal like that. Gareth Southgate took it from the halfway line, thought about passing, lined it up for a shot, and hit the stunning power from 30 yards. Um, and I think that was the first time where our football, actually, what we'd been working on pre-season, began to flow. Um, and as you say, the goals we scored that day were quite exceptional. You scored a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say that's easily the best goal I've ever scored. I think it was the third goal to put us three one up. It was. Yeah, no, it was. Well, I think this was all in the first half as well. Was that still no, the no first Southgate? Half? Southgate in the second half, and then Armstrong got, got two okay. more. But the Southgate goal's great. But for me, the Chris Armstrong header, the diving header. I mean, it's brilliant. one of the best headers you'll see a Palace player ever. Oh, it was sensational. Ever do. Again, Barry been in the offside trap. Got three players in the middle, Bobby Barry. Armstrong flying header, that's a superb goal. What a way to get your hat trick. Well, we've seen goals at the highest level this afternoon, and there's another one. Great cross by Bobby Barry. Flying header by Chris Armstrong. And Chris Armstrong becomes a hat trick man for Crystal Palace. But that had everybody believing, and I remember Smithy was comparing everyone, you know. Chris Coleman is a pint glass, and Bobby Bowery was a was a glass, a wine glass, you know, delicate and stylish and uh, <laughs> you know, elegant. You know, all these words that he would uh, he would use to describe uh, his players and things. But um, he was Alan was a very very positive man, and 
I think his his manner, his aura, all of that stuff rubbed off on everybody. And I think those that were maybe a little bit doubtful early on, after the Forest and the Pompey games, were suddenly thinking, more. Oh, we don't look bad here and we've got some players. And key to that, I want to ask you both about Chris Armstrong because he was a shining light throughout the season. Dom, Chelsea's just kind of highlighted how good a player he was, but in today's market, Chris Armstrong at full speed, what would he go for now? Oh Yeah, I mean, he'd be a... Yeah, he he was he was he was something else. He would be a, a multi 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 million pound player. Um, yeah. Pace, power, great finisher as well. Um, some of the finishes he conjured, uh, you know, contorting his body to to meet them. The header is a prime example of that because that that cross, from, I think it was from Bowery, was behind him, mm. and he still manages to put it into the top corner from quite a long way out. But there, there were a few, a few of them over the course of the season. A lot of diving headers, good in the air, strong in the air, good spring. Um, but if you, if you have a look at the number of goals that we scored that season, counter-attacking, where he's bursting through the middle and it's a reverse pass from Paul Williams into space for him to chase or or someone sliding a pass through the middle. Or even when Paul Stewart is joins us later in the season, he's he's at his side or closest to him and and finding that clever pass. Armstrong's ability to find that space and hold off markers and finish was outstanding. And, and uh, you know, Smith is interviewed on on this end of season highlights of of, the, of that campaign, and he basically says the skies is he'll go as far as he wants to go in the game. He could do anything. He, he's he's that good. He's got all the qualities. And I know his character. There won't be any problems with him whatsoever. Everything will be fine. And obviously, <laughs> you look back, that's, that's Smith being ultra positive because it didn't yeah. go well in the following year and there were different different problems that beset Chris Armstrong. And indeed, when we did sell him, and we got a good price for him, it's a £4.5 million when we sold our, him to Spurs. He was our record sale for 11 years. Well, there you go. Do, I mean, do, do you want the anecdote? Price. Do you want the anecdote on the sale of Chris Armstrong? <laughs> so Dom's talking about selling Chris Armstrong. The night we we were we were uh, we were selling Chris Armstrong. I was playing snooker or due to play snooker with Terry Byfield, believe it or not. And we were going, and then he got a call from Ron to say he had to go to the ground. So he took me with him, and I sat in the office. Why Ron Nodes dictated the contract to Terry Byfield for the sale of Chris Armstrong to Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> what about it? That is a great. What night of the week was it? So I think it was a Sunday. <laughs> Whoever you and sitting there listening to Ron Nodes saying to Terry in Palace in Crystal Palace's unfettered discretion and all these legal terms, <laughs> reeling out, and Terry sitting there typing it on a Sunday night to uh, to sell Chris Armstrong. So uh, yeah, Love that. it was. Uh, it didn't end well, unfortunately, with Chris Armstrong. The following season, he uh, he let us down pretty badly. Unfortunately, he yeah. was um, he was uh, how many how many games has he been for? Like a dozen games or half a dozen games, Dom? I think I can't a critical, remember. Critical time of the season as but well. He, season, yeah. he was he was done for uh, recreational drug use. He came back after the ban and actually scored a few goals towards the end of the season, but it was too late. And football being football, he'd let us down a bit, really, in that respect. But he got a nice move to Tottenham Hotspur while we were relegated. He did. Oh, Selzy, you've, you've 
brought the mood down again. Let's go into September. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's sorry. go into, <laughs> into September, and following a 1-0 win at home to Sunderland, Palace went to the Hawthorns, and one of this podcast's favourite phrases was born. Palace, long-range header, Coleman! Oh, what a meatball header! Uh, we're half an hour in, and we, we've just started September, so I guess we'll have to... It's gonna be it's gonna be a good podcast. This <laughs> probably probably one for the insomniacs. I would have thought. <laughs> Gareth Southgate contributing another goal from central midfield. Selzy, where had Southgate been played coming through the ranks? Because in ninety three ninety four, he was our dynamic man in the middle of the park. Yeah, he as a young player was playing mainly as a right back or a central defender. And when he first came into the team under Steve Koppel, I think he played initially as a right-back from memory. Mm. Um, but Smithy was really big on Gareth, and, he's, you know, and he was proven right, really, with his leadership skills and his, and his qualities as a human. And um, you know, that's obviously stood him in very good stead further on. But he's... Uh, Gareth was a very good leader of men, but he was very athletic, dynamic in midfield, could get around. And, and once he was played in there, you know, could, could get himself on the score sheet pretty regularly, you know. And he was, uh, I think we'd gone to Birmingham and beaten them 4-2 on a, on, a, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, which included a very unusual Richard Shaw goal. Uh, Collector's item. At St Andrews. and um, But we were really picking up form and firing, as you say. Beat Sunderland at home, which I think included perhaps a one and only appearance for Stuart Massey mm -hmm. uh, in that game from Sutton United. Uh, I can't remember him ever playing again. I don't know how many times he did play, but I think that was his debut. And uh, and then to West Brom, where Cookie, uh, David White, who was, again, a real good talent, Chris Armstrong, Gareth Southgate, on the score sheet. I think we were a goal behind in that game, were we, as wow. well? Yeah. 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 Half Came time, back to win. Bob Taylor. Was it Bob Taylor, was it? Bob yeah, Taylor. he could score a goal. I think that West Brom game was the first time we went top of the table. But just going back to Southgate, just very quickly, Don, before we head into October, as Selzy as says, Alan Smith clearly trusted Gareth Southgate to have such a young captain. It replacing a man who'd been such an iconic captain for the club. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think he he must have had some leadership in the youth team section um, at the club. He knew him from that. But he, yeah, I mean, he, he, had, he had those... Those uh, attributes, even then, if you, I mean, the interviews that he was he was giving at the time, he was very eloquent, very very eloquent. Um, and I mean, that's a daunting gig to take on when you've got when you've got other players. Admittedly, he was replacing Andy Thorne, who yes. is who, who loses his place. Who was the club captain? Yeah, yeah. and his, when his knee goes and he's ruled out uh, for the remainder of the season, up steps Gareth to to do that. And and but he's still got. Big personalities in that side. You've, you've you've still got, you know, John Humphrey, Nigel Martin, Eric Young, who's a seasoned Wales international. Chris Coleman, who's coming through as a, a Wales international, and even like members of the the youth setup at Palace who've come through, who who are long since established themselves in the first team setup, like Richard Shaw and John Salako. Um, and yet it's Southgate that he turns to as a sort of the player that's in the middle of that midfield. 
the player that is knitting it together, the player that is contributing goals, is that's that's taking control of matches and and properly stamping authority on 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 occasions, and and a player that that Smith clearly really trusts to the extent that their relationship, even in the years since, is is, is still as strong as ever. I mean, Alan was has effectively worked as effectively worked as as Gareth's agent for for years since throughout you know the 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 managerial stints at, at Middlesbrough to you know his his coaching roles within the England setup and that, and then the England manager's job um Alan is always with him and that bond was was surely cemented in that in that fantastically successful period at Palace Gareth Southgate is another one who's who's always been known as a, as a, a good player potentially he seems to be realizing that now the outstanding person again, you know, not just in terms of football, but on and off the field, you know, he's a leader off the field, and, you know, he's good to have him day in, day out, you know, he's a, he's a Monday to Friday person as, as well as a Saturday person. I think once he gets more confident, he realises the ability he's got there, he's still a little bit uncertain of what he can do, but uh, playing in the Premier League, it'll bring everything out of him, his confidence will flow and we'll have a great player. You, you mentioned John Slarko there, Dom, and, and October saw John Slarko's first start. The Palace. I think he did come on in a game in September, but his first start in October for nearly two years when Stoke visited yeah. Selhurst, and he scored a hat trick, um, thumping four-one win for Palace. But remembered really for for Solarko bagging a hat trick. And, and Don, we, we quickly just before we press record, we did talk about Solarko. I guess talking thirty years ago, coming back from injuries like that, there probably was the risk that he would never play again when he when he suffered the the fate of injuries that he did. Well, I, I remember I was at the the Leeds game where he did the original cruciate ligament mm-hmm. um, when he landed awkwardly, and and I think were, the story at the time was my word. He's he's gone off to the states. I think some fella in Colorado who's Richard Stedman. Who, who, oh, Mister Mister ACL. Yeah, yeah. The late the late the late great Richard Stedman. Yeah, but, yeah. But he and he's like all the stories were like oh he's having a a dead man's ligament sewed into his leg and he's going to, it's going to sort him out. And, and which just at the time just sounded like something out of, a, out of, you know, Frankenstein's monster. I mean, it was, it was bizarre, but, but he, he came back from that. He started the the, the following season and then breaks down again, uh, with a, a, a cruciate again and, and, and he's ruled out. And same, same knee, Dom. I think it was the same knee cells. wasn't it. I think it was the same one that went. It certainly, oh, I, I think so. Yeah. The Leeds game was a night game. Yeah. I think we beat them one 0 at the end. Did Marco Gabbiadini score? No, Mark Bright. It was his, was his debut. debut. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was going. That was going to be my next question. He either scored or it was his debut. There's something in my in my mind about Marco Gabbiadini that night. But that was. So uh, Marco Bright. saw him and thought, "I'm not playing with him for a while." So <laughs> Mark Bright header from an Andy Gray free kick. But we're going back again to 1991. There. <laughs> no, it's I mean, all right. These are. The, the, these stories are running everywhere. Absolutely, well, but, but I mean, but for Salako to have seen that ninety one ninety two season curtailed against Leeds, and then the ninety two ninety three season curtailed, and to watch Palace relegated in that in that season as well, to stay at the club, mm-hmm. battle back to fitness, and there was something. There was a fairy tale that Stoke game. I mean, no one's ever said that about a game with Stoke before. It's it's <laughs> it's. It was ridiculous. Um, I think he actually set up the, the opening goal. Was it for, for Southgate? And, yeah, oh, yeah Southgate right. did yeah. score the other goal. Yeah. I, mean, I think he set him up with a cross. And then he, he scores. And they're not typical John Salako goals either. Who headers are they? Two of them are headers. And he plays yeah. as a striker. He played as a yeah, striker. Yeah, he played as a second striker, did he? Yeah. 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 It was, he, I mean, it just, honestly, it, it made... 
it was it was just a wonderful, wonderful moment. And you thought at that point, well, John's taking off. And, and don't get me wrong, John Salako contributed an awful lot that season in in ninety three, ninety four. He he was a key member of the team that went up. He some amazing goals. The Birmingham goal always sticks with me because of the timing of it when he just went down the other end immediately after they've scored, and he he just conjured this brilliant finish. Palace completely unjustly being pegged back to one one, and he goes down the other end and says, "No, sub this. I'm putting it in that corner," and he did. And and but. Weirdly, as a fan at the time, I think I think he had quite a frustrating season as well. I think he was still finding his way back to a to a level. I, I don't think he ever really showed for Palace anything close to what he'd shown prior to the first knee injury. Again, he, he might have done at times in flashes at Coventry um, in in the subsequent year, but I think Pal- that season was. In in that at that level, playing on some of those pitches, um, which we should definitely talk about at some point. We will come when we when we approach the winter. Oh, we'll uh, oh my mention God. them. And and I, and Smith didn't always pick him because no. because he wasn't he wasn't like tearing games up he, all all the time. And he had other wingers at the club. Simon Roger could play on that side and 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 could deliver a decent cross as well. Um, we had Bobby Barry who played on both sides. We, we Damien Matthew came in at some point and played wide on occasion. Um, George and Dahl was at the club, I think, at the time and, and made the occasional appearance. I mean it was there were there were players in that group that that could fill in for for John and give him a bit of a breather. And so he never re- he rarely asked him to play two games in a week. And in that division you played two games most weeks. I see him, uh, John, at every home game virtually. He's in our lounge every week talking before and after the game. And he doesn't age. He's incredible. No, no. It's amazing, he he isn't still it? looks like he's 18, honestly. Yeah. He's incredible. It's like a, he's just like Benjamin Button. He just doesn't <laughs> he, he's like in a time walker bloke. He does not he does not age. Gareth actually I've run into I I saw him at Wolves Brighton earlier in the season when I went on when we were, I think we played Arsenal on the Monday night and I was at the game on, on the Saturday. He always stops and chats. He actually did me a big favour in, inadvertently because the first time I met Dean Henderson at St George's Park, he was away with England under-21s and I'd never met him before. And through uh, Simon Moore, one of the other goalies at Sheffield United, he'd arranged for me to go and see him to try and sweet-talk him into working with me. Anyway... I'm sitting at St George's Park with all these gloves on the table talking to Dean Henderson and who should rock up but Gareth. And he looked all sort of startled because Gareth sat down for 15 minutes and had a cup of tea and talked all about Crystal Palace with me. (laughs) And then he got up and he went, I can't believe it. You've got the England manager on strings. (laughs) Sealed the deal, Selzy. So I think inadvertently that little 15-minute cup of tea and a chat Actually, but to help persuade Dean Henderson that I might be all right. Well, Selzy, any any excuse for the England manager to talk about that goal against Portsmouth, probably, and he's happy to do so, I'd imagine. Yes, so. well, <laughs> probably. I'm Let's, sure he um, remembers it. We'll, we'll bypass November because it, it was a tale of two wins, but also two defeats. Succumbing away at Notts County and at home to Bolton, but two wins, two three-one wins, one at Oakwell and one at Vicarage Road, and did maintain momentum into December. And again, defeat. Was uh, was the start of the month, losing uh, to Notts County, who were the only team that season to double over Palace. Um, but that does seem to be when Palace did put their foot on the gas a little bit, with four wins on the trot to end 1993. And Sales, I'm going to come to you, Mr. Music Man. Who was? Oh God, you're getting out of my comfort zone here. About 1993, 
1993. Where it all starts to go awry. Christmas Christmas number one, 1993, because someone went top while Palace went to the manor ground with eyes on hitting top spot themselves. Who was the UK number one? Christmas 1993. 1993. God, you have to give me a clue. Uh, Solo artist. Right. That cuts it down to about a million. Uh, Initials... I'm just going to tell you, actually, because you're never going to get this one. No, Mr. go on, just tell me. Just give me a clue. All right. Uh, surname begins with B. Right. Okay. Listener, and the shout, first name, shout out the if initial... you get it. He doesn't have a first name. He doesn't have a first name? He doesn't have a first name. Mr. Mr. Blobby. Mr. Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> For any international listeners, I... I do so advocate you doubted me for a minute there as well. I you think. got it. You got it. But for okay. any international listeners, I would go um, onto YouTube and look at Mr. Blobby's back catalogue of work because it really is up there with, uh, with some of the comedy greats. But Palace did go to Oxford and, and win uh, 3-1 to go top, a position that after that day, the 27th of December, they did not relinquish for the rest of the season. Um, they followed that up a few days later with a last-minute winner at home to a dogged South End side. Selzy, yeah. Simon Rogers scored the winner that evening. Um, yeah. Just a quick word about he and some of the, of the other youngsters that, that stood up this season. We'll come on to Dean Gordon in a moment, but Simon Roger, I guess, one of the other kind of star youth players of that season. Yeah, he did. He came from Bognor Regis. I think we paid like a grand for him or something back in the day. And he wasn't what you would call a sort of out and out winger, more of a wide player that was cultured. He could deliver a ball. I think the game against South End, I remember it, was over was over Christmas, I think, like between yeah, it, Christmas and New Year. It was. It was a few days after the I think the I was at game. the Manor Ground. I was at the Manor Ground and at Tranmere before. Yeah, I can see that now. Yeah. So, and I think, were you at this game, Dom, the South End game? I was, Simon yeah. Roger. Put, he sort of scored at the back post in the roof of the net near the end, did he? Salako cross from the right. Yeah. Um, and swung it over. It was missed by the goalkeeper. I think it was Paul Samson and uh, Chris Armstrong jumping in the middle. And, and he was he was sort of arriving at the back post and half volleyed it into the roof of the net. Yeah, there you go. Cross driven in. Chance here. And Simon Roger does it. The very last minute. Simon Roger, the super sub. Well, it's amazing what recollection that you have. Uh, Wait, that, I remember that a, game. That was one of the worst games I've ever yeah, seen. Don was saying yeah, we were very stodgy awful. that night. Yeah. I remember yeah. we really struggled. But as happens with teams that get promotion and win leagues, they find a way to win when they're yeah. not very good. And yeah. that's that's what happens. It's going to be really good for listeners to play the game of comparing how accurately you two remember certain goals with some of the commentary that we're going to kind of lead into this. <laughs> now we're really going to get embarrassed. <laughs> but that one is pretty much it. That one was, yeah, Simon Roger. And there's a lovely interview from him, and I'll see if I can get the audio of this as well, where he just talks about, it's pretty much the Michael Elise style interview of manager pulled me to come on, went on, scored a goal. It's great. That's pretty much it. So Michael Elise's clearly had his media training from, uh, from Simon Roger. That's right. I think it was about 15 minutes to go, and I was warmed up down the touchline, and the, the bosses called me, me across said, you know, I want you to just get on, you know, get the back post. Hopefully you might get, you know, get one in the last minute or something. And obviously it turned out really well for me. John Salako's whipped the ball in. Chris Armstrong's got up with a keeper and obviously they both missed it. 
I'm there to slot in at the back place. That's dream, you know, dream for me, last minute job. As well, chuff. as we continue through the 93-94 season. This week, we're again sponsored by Green King Sport. Just a reminder that if you're ordering via their app when there's a live match on, you'll get 10% off all your drinks. We ended the year top, and um, as I said, after the Oxford game, we, we didn't really look back in terms of where we were in the league. But January didn't start brilliantly. Consecutive defeats against Millwall and Wolves in the league, either side of going out the cup, also to Wolves. To Wolves, so, I was going to say, I remember, so, yeah. To Wolves, yeah. Two, two weekends on the bounce, defeats at Wolves. Saw the club make, Dom, your point earlier about not delving into the transfer market in the pre-season, but we did delve into the transfer market that January. And obviously fans now associate January with transfers, but this just coincidentally was also January. Hmm. Paul Stewart joined from Liverpool. Um, I just want a quick chat about Paul Stewart and and what type of impact he had and, and what type of signing that was at that point. Because just two years before that, he'd been starting for Spurs in cup finals. So clearly... You know, had something about him. We we loaned him from Liverpool. Um, he quite the coup. Yeah, and he probably added at that time a great amount of experience, which wasn't probably something we had bundles of. And I think Alan at the time was very keen to add somebody a bit more seasoned. I mean, we certainly had experience in goal and 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 at the back, but not so much at the top end of the pitch or in midfield, really. We were quite young, and I think he saw that as quite important. Dom, I'll have to go to Statman again and just see if my recollection's right. I think he'd gone back at Tottenham, because he was at Man City, to and became a sort of midfield player there. Yeah, he was and then we reverted to Spurs. using him as a striker again with Chris Armstrong, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, that's exactly that, that was yeah. my recollection. He's definitely yeah, played that, in Spurs at Spurs in, mid, in midfield, um, but he'd started off at City as a striker. I don't know what we, he played we, at Liverpool. He barely played at all. I don't know whether those results, the three 0 defeat at the Den on New Year's Day, oh, that was awful. Was I was going to gloss over. I was going to gloss over oh, that one, Chelsea. Oh. Yeah, which is never a pleasant prospect. Etienne Vivier. Etienne Vivier. Etienne Vivier. Yeah, unbelievable. What a performance he put in that day. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how thirty odd years on, I can still remember who Etienne Vivier is. I mean, I bet there are Millwall fans who haven't got a clue. Who he is. That was at the New Den. My recollection of that is being staggered to see a bloke run down the steps and wave his fist and abuse people in the away end whilst he was carrying a baby under his arm, which was something I've, I've never witnessed. Felty, you, and I, you and I were talking about the Den yesterday when we had a, a quick call before this one. The Den opened that season. That was the yeah. Den's first year. 93 I, was when it opened. I think probably going back to Paul Stewart that the... Uh, uh, the thing that may have driven that was that defeat. And then the two... Did we lose 1-0 both times to... 1-0 um, uh, and 2-0. I can't remember which two one. 2 was it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and they, and again, it, it was, as Dom said earlier, where we had that sort of rocky patch. It was one of them where you're thinking, hmm, mm-hmm. is it going away from us again a little bit here sort of thing? But... Uh, well, Stuart's we influencing... To... Yeah, he, he came in and his debut was Leicester at home. And Leicester eventually came up with us via the playoffs. Yeah. And Stuart influenced that game from the off. So his, his time at Palace started very positively for him. Tale of two Chris's, Armstrong and Coleman with the goals. Another free kick from Richard Shaw. 
Good header by Paul Stewart and Chris Coleman gets the equaliser. Great work from Paul Stewart. Chris Coleman appearing from nowhere and volleying high into the net. guess quite an important way to end that month given the, the results that started it oh absolutely there was a you have to bear in mind the context i know we mentioned touched upon 92 93 earlier but we'd lost every league game in 1993 january 93 mm. and there was a sense of deja vu happening here that suddenly oh my word we've been utterly bat- battered in the second half at millwall having played very well in the first half and gone in nil nil we've they then lost to wolves who were okay, you know, they were they had their moments, but they weren't like one of the teams that was gonna, you know, necessarily get promoted. Um and there was I think there was a sense of a slight sense of not panic, but like, oh, we have to be a bit wary of this. Um and in fact I think in even in the Leicester game, we went behind to a ridiculous I think it was a deflected free kick from miles out. Mike, Mike Whitlow. Whitlow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, Mike Whitlow, wow, yeah. Nigel doesn't move. Nigel doesn't like understanding. Flies right. in the top corner. Yeah, and, it, and we, we also if you take into account, I know if you look at the highlights, you see all these goals from Paul Williams flying in, and 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 you must look at him and think, wow, he, he's he's some player. Him, he's he's he looks a perfect foil for Chris Armstrong. But the reality was that 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 synergy between the pair wasn't always there, and and Paul Williams, very very slight, quite injury prone. Not prolific. I mean, the previous year, you know, his lack of goals had really cost Palace quite badly after he'd, he'd come in from the, the deal that, that took Mark Bright to, to Sheffield Wednesday. And it's the, the, that the front line needed pepping up. It needed support for Chris Armstrong. Sales is absolutely right. It was a matter of getting an older head, an experienced player who could who could who could act as the Mark Bright to Chris Armstrong's Ian Wright. And that's what Palace needed at the time. And Stuart wasn't prolific. I think he scored two. Got a couple. Palace, yeah. yeah. Three or four, maybe. Yeah. But they weren't, they weren't, he wasn't like going out there and scoring six, seven, eight goals in the, in the second half of the season. He he was there as much as a provider and to create space for, for Armstrong to, to flourish. And, I mean, we, I'm glad that we do look back in certain sense and say that Paul Williams did have an impact on that season. Again, the Tranmere goal he scored was brilliant, and it was a, that was a big win. I know Tranmere are League Two at the moment, but they were challenging back then. They're... He was um, he was quite weak, as you said, yeah. John. Physically, he struggled yeah. really struggled physically. He was probably built, Jack, just to give you a comparison, like somebody like Matthias Franzer as a oh. forward, you know, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. and it was very physical then, and he was getting knocked around. I don't think he ever scored a goal for us at Sellers Park, you know. I'm not sure he did. And here's another anecdote. We played South End uh, a year or two later on. And uh, this was in the year we were Dave Bassett's year, I think, or something like that. It was certainly around that time. And we'd gone to Reading and beaten them 6-0 or 6-1 at Elm Park. And we played South End the next week, and I backed Palace a hundred to one to win six nil at Selhurst. <laughs> and we were six nil up. We were six nil up in injury time, only for Paul Williams to score for South End United. Wow, a bloke who never scored a goal at Selhurst Park <laughs> to ruin the bet for me. Wow, that is wow. sensational. Do you want to speak in terms of them? 
Well, I've never forgotten it 30 years later. Not that I'm bitter or anything. <laughs> well, we'll do that. We'll, we'll go over that one again in a couple of years' time for the 30th anniversary of that yeah. season too. <laughs> February, we kicked the month off with a win at home to Peterborough. Three draws followed, the first of which featured a contender for goal of the season from the now, at that point, first choice left back, Dean Gordon at home to Derby. And you both touched on, on Dean Gordon, but Dom, Gordon's influence increased as the season progressed. He became the penalty taker. He nailed down the left back spot. I guess his journey through that season, that's that, that season, while fantastic for the club, was probably career-defining for him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he 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 grew in influence. I mean, that he was a substitute in that Forest game, the aforementioned Forest game, where he'd scored the free kick. Uh, by no means, you know, earmarked as the future left-back. But he, he very, very rapidly established himself in the team um, and provided all that energy and, and thrust and support for John Solarco uh, down that flank. He, if you again, if you watch that video, he he starts off in the Forest game. He doesn't look he doesn't look particularly powerful. He looks almost his frame is quite frail still. But you only have to go a couple of months, three or four months later, and he he looks like the unit that he became playing for Palace in uh, left back. He, a real explosive left footed shot. We all know that. We all remember the I know, the hatchery against West Brom a few years later, and 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 you know bolting away in the Premier League in mm. 98, I think it was. Um, but it's, this this one was his first kind of yeah. showcase of from outside oh, the, of the well, box and absolutely. You know, on the run. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean that well, it was something else. It was an absolute. I mean, he he, but actually, that game encapsulates his his style that season. A, a, a blistering goal out of nothing. Just he had no right to take that take that shot on, particularly in your first season as a in the senior team. But also completely culpable for Forest. That's uh, right for Derby going ahead in the match to Gary yeah. Charles. Um, Gary Charles. Gary Charles. Yeah, Gary Charles. It was. Yeah. Um, and and he admits as much in the interviews on 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 the season review. But it's yeah. He, he, again, if you look back at it all, the the number of goals we conceded that season in our left back area, where he's probably being caught halfway up the pitch on a marauding run, overlapping run. It, I mean, at that level, you could get away with it because it's not quite, it wasn't quite Premier League level, uh, obviously. I think the following season was far more of an education for him because he. I remember he started off, he, I know he scored against Leeds very early on in the Premier League season, but he was a bit ropey for a while and then grew into it and became the stalwart that he, that he was for a good few years after that. Um, it, but he was... He was Patrick Van Arnholt, powerhouse style really, yeah, wasn't he? Do you that's know what it. I mean? That's, Great shout. He was a sort of roaming left back, wasn't always defensively sound, but could get up and down the pitch. And he had a thunder, but I mean, you two, I'm assuming, have watched this goal back against Derby. Yeah. I'm only going from memory because I haven't seen it. But it felt to me like it was like 35 yards out. <laughs> 50 he, yards out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it zipped at the same end, round the keeper into the top corner. And I remember, I think Roy McFarland was the manager of Derby at this point. We scored, was that like 89 minutes or something? Yeah, it, was in, in, it was right at the end. Right at the Injury end. time, yeah. And I remember Roy McFarland in the press thing when I read the papers on the Sunday. So that's what you had to do, listeners of a certain age in those days, if you wanted to know what went on. And I used to buy about six papers on a Sunday and read everything. And I remember him saying, I saw him get the ball, carry it forward. And I was telling him to shoot. <laughs> and the bastard did. He <laughs> and I just remember remember that. Here's your trivia question for tonight. 
Dean Gordon's son is playing in the championship. Do you know his name and club? Oh, I know the club. I can't remember his name. He's a Swansea centre half, isn't he? Yes. I can't remember his name. Dom, do you know this? I don't know. I'm surprised that you two. Nathan Wood is his Nathan son. Wood, that's him. Came through yeah. Boroughs. Came through Boroughs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Back back in two thousand two thousand one, that when the Guardian sent me up to the northeast, um, very 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 wet behind the ear, I I latched on to people whose voices I I could empathise with, so so to speak. South London voice in Dean Gordon, pretty much. I put a, a, a request in to speak to him at Middlesbrough, uh, do an interview with him, because I was desperate to hear somebody who sounded like me. Uh, it sounds terrible, but it was a bit of a... I was a bit of a fish out of water, let's put it like that. Um, and we, we, we did... Went down Rockcliffe Park, which is... Burroughs at the time was like state-of-the-art training ground. Absolutely yeah. glorious in, in the old stately home um, on Teesside or North Yorkshire somewhere. And um, sat down and he eventually rocked up. He had a bit of an attitude on. But um, we did... a maybe 15 minutes of on the record talking about Middlesbrough and how great life was at Middlesbrough and then spent two hours pretty much talking about his favourite Crystal Palace moments <laughs> including including the Derby goal and how he remembered it flying into that top corner and and, and oh it was just like oh that was the moment wasn't it that was that was when it all came together well yeah it really was it was a, a watershed for him um, it's, what, it's what people of of our age used to call a thunderbolt yeah. And people in the modern era now call it a thunder bastard. I nearly referred to that a minute ago. <laughs> yes, Salesy, in that run of draws, Palace also went to the city ground for the return fixture against Forest and picked up a point. Forest were just behind us in the league at that point. I guess when you're top of the league and you play second away from home, a draw is as good as a win at that point of the season. It was. And, and for a trivia for you, name the Palace goal scorer that day. I think it was Damian Matthew. On his debut. I was there and I think, it, yeah, it may well have been his day. I, I mean, I got to know... Damo actually quite well further on in his um, in his life because he came and worked in the academy for a little while and then he went to Charlton and worked with Powley when Powley was Charlton manager. So I used to see him often in his room after the games there and stuff like that. And he, he um, so I, I know him reasonably well, Damien. He's had a bit of a, a, a career with Mick Bill being at uh, QPR and then at Rangers and stuff like that. Um, Neil Banfield there also was a former Palace youth team graduate, actually. Damien Matthew was one of the other kind of delving into the transfer market to supplement mm. that squad. Signing from first cash signing of the sum of that season. Of that season. How much yeah. from Chelsea? 150 grand. Right. 150 I, I have grand. a feeling, Dom, I have a feeling that Damien Matthew may well have made his debut against Palace for Chelsea in a game... In the first division, when we got Dick 3 0 towards the end of a season at Stamford Bridge, the year we got to the cup final, I think Gary O'Reilly might have got sent off. Yeah, yeah that's right. That did happen, yeah. And I think him and Graham Stewart played for Chelsea that day. Mm, that and it may have been his debut, I think, and or, or certainly one of his early games for Chelsea, I wonder. Um, but. Uh, the, don't give it all away, Selzy. We'll do a Damien Matthew special at some point, so don't, no, don't give it all away. I, I don't know if I can make it last an hour, but I'll um, <laughs> I'll give it a go. No, he. Um, but that, but that, that, that draw was a was a pivotal result at that point in the season, Selzy. I'm guessing. Yes, looking back at it, I think at that point it was one, you know, one of those don't lose it and you'll be all right type thing. You know, the momentum will stay. And um, I think another we game, were behind uh, in that uh, game. Yeah, I was going to well. say another game we went behind and then took something from. 
Yeah. And we would sort of dig games out like that. And that was, uh, I think after that, it was one where you thought like we didn't, we didn't, um, we didn't look like we were going to lose too many games. You know, you started to believe like, okay, we're going to be all right here and we're going to do this. And you had that real sort of strong sense that, you know, the, the finish line was was there and we were well capable of, of, of getting over it. The, um, the follow-up to that, I think it was after that Forest game, we played, and Dom referred to earlier, on one of the worst pitches I think I've ever seen at Selhurst Park or any other football ground for that matter. We thumped Bristol City at home 4-1, Dean Gordon amongst the goal scorers again um, in that 4-1 win. But an interesting performance from the visiting keeper on, a, on an absolutely horrendous night under the Selhurst lights. Selzy, I can't find record of who that Bristol City goalkeeper was that night. But he's wearing Gabal Karai-style trousers, but I can't find any record of that game to indicate which goalkeeper had a terrible game. It wasn't Fred Barber, because <laughs> Fred Barber played for Peterborough that season. But... I have a feeling that era, it may well have been Keith Welch. I'm not sure. I'm going to look that up in a minute. But he played against Palace significantly, Dom. Can you remember the game or not? Significantly, Keith Welch. Keith Welch. Does that mean anything? Did he have a goatee? That's all I remember about Keith Welch. Was Keith, Keith Welch was the goalie for Rochdale in the FA Cup run in 1990. Oh, uh, was he? Oh. And he played at Selhurst and basically stopped everything until Phil Barber found the way didn't. through to <laughs> get us... Uh, Get us there. Let's see where he was in 93-94. He was at Bristol City in 93-94. There you go. go. So that may well be right. It's him. And I'm going to drop the audio in right now. And the commentator refers to his goalkeeping in a particular fashion, which is absolutely sensational. Oh, that's danger. And the Bristol City keeper was so fortunate. But he's, well, he's messing around. And there's an opportunity. And that's gone in. 2-1 for Palace. What a great finish by Solarco. Unbelievable goal. The keeper committing Harry Carey, but Solarco was just outstanding there. Mark saw two defeats before wins and a draw kept Palace clear at the top of the league. The most high-profile fixture of that month saw ITV's cameras come to Selhurst for the London derby against recent tenants Charlton. A game that holds personal meaning as it was the first game of live football I recall watching on television. Mm. Dom, oh, always that, nice. The first game you watched on television. That was right. 18 years after I first went to a Crystal Palace game. Do you know how bad you make me feel here or not? <laughs> There's listeners that have just turned off. Stewart. That was a good ball. Salako. Gordon is making a terrific run outside him, but he won't get there, in fact, because Salako is making such strides himself. And a good cross coming in. And Stewart has made it too. Dom, always nice to beat Charlton, although, as you said at the start, not the first time we played them that season, so probably became familiar foes. It did signal, uh, I think, Paul Stewart's first goal at home um, for Palace. So he did he did bag a few, but he got the second one, the first of which was Chris Armstrong. But Charlton, I don't think, had a bad season that season, probably finished top half. So, again, another kind of tick on that list on the, on the way to the end of the season. I think they were... They were challenging at that point, and they did they did sink it back into into mid table, but that, that at the time that felt a significant win, not least because, yeah, because they reminded us pre, of of the first division experience a few years earlier, I think, and and the the proximity as 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 tenants etc. Um, apparently, it was his second 
home goal. Was it his second home? Yeah, oh, who was the first beat one? West, West Brom. We beat West Brom. Was that yeah. before that? Okay. Yeah, that yeah. was before. Yeah, but yeah, it was a, it, it was a big win. I think it was a big win because we'd lost at Sunderland in midweek. Right. Was that um, I think I was there that night as well. Did Colin Pascoe score that goal, though? That may well have been the case. It's a very yeah, that's I very think good I was memory. There, so. Roker Park. Wasn't the first time I went to Roker Park on a Tuesday night. This will this will be really foreign to you, Jack. But 1985, <laughs> they got to the League Cup final and played Norwich. Norwich. Yeah, and it was the only time the 1984-85 we played them in about September '84 in the League Cup. I've been to Sheffield United. I was 14 the the, the week before, and this will be really foreign to all the Palace fans listening now. We used to know everybody that went to the away games on first name terms, and I mean everyone. All fourteen of one, you. One coach, and the same people would be there all the time, right? The same people. We played Sheffield United on a Tuesday night. Steve Coppel's first win as Crystal Palace manager, and there was thirty-one people on the terrace at Bramble Lane behind the goal, of which I was one of them, to witness Jerry Z. Nico Murphy curling the equaliser before Tony Mahoney span and, vo- and smashed in the winner near the end for us to win. The following week, we played Sunderland in the Milk Cup, as it was, at Roker Park on a Tuesday night. And it's the only time in my life, I'm pleased to tell you, that I've been in the back of a police van. And the reason <laughs> I was in the back of this police van is that when we turned up for the game on Tuesday night at Roker Park, the police came in two vans to escort our fans up to the stadium from the bus, but they then realised there was actually only 28 of us, so they put 14 each in the back of two police vans and drove us to the turnstile. So, and, so, and after such a lovely experience, you revisited that in the March of 1994? Yeah, the following, the following 10 years <laughs> later, I was there again, and we got beat 1-0, and I think Colin Pascoe, the wide player that was Welsh, I think it was from Swansea originally, scored the scored the winner. I think that might be the game. Was he the uh, later the assistant to Brendan Rodgers? That's right. Mm. That's the one. That, that may well be right. Yes, indeed. Well, I think so, the, the Charlton game was, yeah, as I said, the first game I watched on TV, and I was fascinated that Palace wore one to eleven, but Charlton had already adopted squad numbers, including a centre half who had number one on his back. Blew my mind. Really? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it was. They had Vaughan goal wearing twenty two. And a centre half wearing number one, and a very young Scott Minto at left back who got absolutely ripped apart uh, throughout that game. I remember. So, yeah, Scott Minto made his Charlton debut against Palace, I think. In the not league surprised football, we, pl- we, football, we 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 played them every other week of that season. <laughs> a few years earlier, um, night game, I remember. But that that result really kind of yeah got over that disappointment of the of the Sunderland result into April, and it was six wins on the bounce, culminating in the title winning. Uh, or title clinching win at Ayrson Park, which we'll come on to in a moment. But the second of which of, of that run of six wins was South End away, the type of away trip that anybody in the way end that night is unlikely to forget as we march towards the league title. Either of you gents there at Roots Hall that evening? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I yeah. think I might have seen all the games this season, to be honest. I think <laughs> I saw every one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at them all thinking I remember that. I vaguely remember that. Or if, I think the Middlesbrough home game that we lost in March that you talked about, Dom's nodding his head here, so he's probably... Yeah, how was that that? I think there. we absolutely battered them for the whole game and had chance after chance after chance after chance, no? No. Am that, I getting it wrong? 
We were absolutely abysmal against Middlesbrough at home. We didn't create a single chance other than was a there, Stewart. Was there shot a deflected long ranger or something? Craig Hignett. Yeah, so, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, Craig it's all Hignett. good. No, Craig Hignett. Craig, a yeah. shot that was deflected in, but honestly, we did not create much. Oh, that okay, night. We I, my awful. recollection there might be wrong then because I. I'm thinking we had loads and loads of chances in that game and lost to a deflected shot from range, which I think was the only one they had on target. But I might be wrong. final part of this week's special episode looking back fondly at the excellent 93-94 season we're of course sponsored by Green King Sport where football is more than a game I mentioned the the South End game because there's some lovely audio Brian Moore was the commentator for the Charlton game which listeners would have just heard you know lovely lovely voice uh, you know very of its time and, and, and will hopefully take listeners back the next voice was John Helm who also seemed to do a lot of Division 1 coverage that year so we, we'll feed that one in. And they'll seek to get bodies in there just to unsettle the South End defence. It's Young. It's a goal. Eric Young, his presence has always threatened South End at the set pieces. And Eric Young powers the header in past Paul Sanson. And it gives Palace a priceless lead. But I guess, again, a midweek win at a team that's. Yeah. That it it was... wasn't the easiest place to go to, Route so I'm presuming. They well, they were decent as well. I mean, when did they yeah. finish? They finished fifteenth in the end, but that that wasn't. That, they didn't have a bad team at all. There's I mean, Ricky Otto. People, Ricky Otto. Oh yeah, the the gunman. Um, I mean, he was absolutely mag- magnificent players within that team. But I mean, look, I wasn't at Roots Hall. I wasn't at Roots Hall. But I, I back in those days when I wasn't able to get to games, I tuned into Capital Goal to hear Jonathan Pearce in his oh, prime. Oh wow! In his prime, and I remember that the coverage of Palace that night and it was, you know, one nil one, one. Um, and the South end fans, the caging around the ground, the South end fans are, are hammering this. Cage. Rattling. Yeah. Yeah. Rattling it, the cage. Unbelievable. Southgate onside and coming in Armstrong. It's got to be surely now. Palace ahead again. Southend's defence breached by one of the most lethal strikers in the Ensley League. Goal number 22 for Chris Armstrong. Chrissy Armstrong scores the, the winner. There's the utter keeper. silence from this caging. It just stops. And all you can hear for the next five minutes of the game, ten minutes of the game, whatever it was, and about 15, 20 minutes afterwards as they're doing their post-match interviews, is we are top of the league. So we are top of the Southgate league. Southgate loops the ball perfectly over the top. Williams actually might have put off the South End defenders. They thought he was going to get a touch. But the one that mattered came from Chris Armstrong. It was um, the, the first time I just thought, yeah, we're going to do this. We're actually going to do this now. There's, there's so much belief. And everybody was just completely galvanized and focused on winning that league and it was it was that that hearing palace fans chant that is uh, it's just a wonderful wonderful doesn't, wonderful doesn't thing. happen often <laughs> no it really doesn't i mean as you say don promotion we've been touching distance at that point and then millwall who oh, that was, that were was having amazing. a very good season battling for promotion under their up-and-coming manager name that man selzy was it mick mccarthy it was mick mccarthy came to selhurst and again chris armstrong he formerly of Millwall making the difference, but 
both of you, I can only imagine what a tense afternoon that was at Silvers oh, because that is about man. as close a 1 0 as it gets. Right, here come Palace again on the rampage at the moment. Gurney swings one over here. It's Solano! Interception! Glorious goal from Chris Armstrong. Calicard stopped those. A thumping header. They were still bemoaning it. The lack of awarding a penalty on the bench. When this corner comes in from Dean Gordon, it's perfection itself. But what about the header to match it? Selzy, can I ask you, should Nigel Martin have been sent off in that match? <laughs> he came out and smashed Dave Mitchell, didn't he? He did, yeah. Right, yeah. The Australian. And then he turns oh, out, okay, yeah. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. Yes, you yeah. could. <laughs> I think there was the old heart-in-the-mouth moment. But Nigel was actually... As good as he was, and just for perspective here, Jack, again, we talk about Nigel Martin. We're playing in the championship here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it wasn't called that then, but is as it is now. Endsley Division Crystal 1. Palace had one of the best goalkeepers in the in world football yeah. playing in goal for them in the championship. I mean, yeah. the fact that, that actually when we bought him, when we were in the, in the first division in 1990, in 1989, sorry, it was a world record fee for a goalkeeper. Crystal Palace buying a goalie off Bristol Rovers, shattering the world record transfer fee. The first million pound goalkeeper. I mean, it was incredible, really. And he was uh, he was a really in his ear in his era, Nigel, an absolutely world class goalie. Selzy, I in, don't disagree with a word of it, but you haven't answered Dom's question as to whether he should have been sent off or not. Uh, it was against Millwall at home. No, you should say that. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> Great answer. You don't, you don't think I could give that as a yes, can you? Well, Millwall had an Australian up front and who in goal, Dom? Casey Keller. Mulleted Casey Keller, who uh, Chris Armstrong had a good puts team. A, had a good Ray team. put that pass over for, for Mitchell. He was he a good did. player. A very, yeah. very good player. Ben Thatcher at centre-off. Not, yeah, yeah. not so good, not so nice. <laughs> I, know, I know him really well, Ben, actually, these days. I'll, I'll see him from time to time. Uh, Mick McCarthy, I, I've had a few dealings with and I like very much in, in the manner that uh, I'd spoken to him a couple of years ago because Danny Young asked me to help Bakary Sacco out and see if I could get him try to train somewhere to put himself, get himself a move back in the UK. And, I, and Mick was actually going to take him then they got dicked by Swansea in the Welsh Derby on the Sunday, and I think he lost his job after that before he had the the chance to go in there. Well, Millwall finished third that season, their highest league position since relegation from Division One in the eighties, and they've not reached that level since. They lost in the playoff semi final to Derby, who would then yeah. go on to lose to, that to was Leicester. A terrible night of violence and rioting around the stadium. Mm, I mean, that. It was yeah. terrible. It was really, really, really bad. I think they got beat like four-one or something at home in the oh, playoffs, and they, they absolutely went to town and were smashing everything up around the stadium. And bins were everywhere in the street. They were just—it was. I remember like the next day, the radio was full of people phoning in saying how terrified they were and what a terrible night it was. And it wasn't the first time that they'd. Um, they sort of uh, been tagged with shaming English football, but not that a th- wasn't a great, a great night. <laughs> not a thread we need to pull there, Celsi, but yeah. No. Um, after Millwall, Palace won at Luton with a Chris Coleman head. And I want to 
touch on on Chris Coleman that season, Don, because before the turn of the year, Andy Thorne was was ruled out for the season, and and Chris Coleman was effectively his replacement of Eric Young at centre half. Chris Coleman would go on to win the Player of the Season award, mm. I think. So how 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 well did Chris Coleman do alongside Eric Young at that centre half? He was a massive presence. I mean, just a a, a class. Look, not 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 error free. He was still relatively young, still learning, but. But even then, you could tell he was—he was the type of player that was going to—he's probably going to take over from Eric in the the Welsh setup, and and certainly come through and 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 you know finally nail down that position with Palace because you know after being signed as I think from Swansea for not very much money, two hundred grand or whatever it was, but under under Koppel, he he'd very rarely been given many chances at centre back um, because Palace had so many good players there already. Um, and he he'd sort of been messed around a bit and had to play up top, and you know it was all a bit awkward. But he he gave his all, and that year, that season, he just grew into it, and he just he just looked head and shoulders above. He he and Eric Young that season were absolutely superb in terms of the the strength in there. No one could match. I think Palace conceded forty six goals in in the, in the was it forty six in the season? Uh, yeah, forty yeah forty six in forty six games. I mean that was the best defensive record in the. Uh, in yeah. the division, and and those two with Nigel behind them, and we should remember like John Humphrey's contribution um, at right back as well as a steadying influence for everybody, and for his goal against Wolves. By the way, what a goal! We've, yeah, we didn't, wonderful. We didn't touch on that. What a another, goal! Another fantastic strike yeah. from distance, but yeah. this gave this sense of solidity to Palace, um, and Coleman was great. I mean, look, like the following season he he showed what he could do in the Premier League, although weirdly not necessarily always alongside Eric Young. It was actually more alongside Richard Shaw in the back in the Premier League that he was playing at centre-back. Um, Chelsea, all of a sudden it was May and, and Palace had yeah. the chance to seal the Division 1 title at, at Middlesbrough a week early. Uh, an entertaining match that I think was live on TV and, and Palace got the better of. But what are your overriding emotions of that day? Presumably you'd made the trip up. You might have guessed I was there. Yeah, correct. <laughs> it was... Um... What do we need? Do we do we need a win, or did we just we need only to turn got, up? Basically? We only got promoted. The we only won the championship the following day, or no, the following weekend. I think when Millwall drew two two with Forest. I thought um, that was that weekend, or maybe that was the, the same week. weekend. Yeah, yeah, I think I we clinched the title. the title after the Borough game. And you, it's interesting you talking about those players. John Humphrey, I think, was a really stylish mm. right back. That goal, goal against Wolves. That was another one of those Sunday televised games from what I can remember. I don't know if it was right. Brian Moore or someone. It was, yeah. But I remember him sort of steadying himself. He didn't even really sort of come onto the ball. If I, I mean, you've probably watched this recently, Jack, but from memory, I don't remember him even coming onto the ball and thundering. He was sort of got it out of his feet. Standing like, start, basically. Yeah, yeah, and just and spanked it. And then I think just stood there with his hand in the air <laughs> after he scored. I don't know any wild celebrations or anything from memory. <laughs> I mean, the fact I can remember some of this nonsense, you know, I do need a doctor. In comes Andy Thorne to add a bit of uh, spice and a bit of pace to it, a bit of determination and a bit of competitiveness about it as well. Finds Humphrey, long-range shot maybe! A fantastic goal by Humphrey! As Don was talking there about those two, I just wanted to say a bit about Eric Young, mm was probably one of the most underrated footballers, I think, that ever played for Crystal Palace. I rarely remember anyone getting the better of him, running him 
he had a big long stride, no one beat him for pace. He was had that big long long legs that he was able to get the uh, inspector gadget tackles in a bit like Aaron Wambisaka for the more uh, more uh, young or the younger listeners that are uh, are amongst us. And Chris Coleman came primarily as a left back when we signed him from Swansea. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. But if you look at him physically, it's really hard to imagine him being a left back. Left back. He's, <laughs> he's too big, really, mm. to be. You know, left backs aren't really built like him. He was built like a central defender. He's a tank. And um, that spell that he played as a striker in Steve Coppel's rather bizarre Chris Coleman and uh, and uh, Mark Bright combination, and latterly that ended up also with him and Grant Watts, I think, and people like that playing together. Um, although I don't think he enjoyed it very much, from what I gathered from memory, I think it did him a lot of good as a player because I think he went on to become a much better player as a result of having to do that, and probably I don't know whether that meant that playing as as a striker helped him defensively further on or understanding their, that role a little bit more. I don't know. But he went on and became a really, really good central defender. And you again, both of those that we're talking about would be, in my thoughts, around the best ones that we've had at Crystal Palace and stuff. You know, obviously the current pairing are very good and Sacco's been very good and, and so on. But they they were very very good for Crystal Palace. Dare I say, Selzy, it was that season that mm. probably got Chris Coleman in the team of the century. Yeah, did he yeah. get in the team of the century? I think he did. did. Yeah. I think okay. he's a well, centre half. Yeah, I would imagine he would have been figuring, you know, because he he did very well. And Eric Young, to be fair to him, also um, would pop up and score a few goals every season for you from set plays as well. well. He, he, he got did. the first at Roots Hall in that 2-1 that I mentioned a minute ago, and he also yeah. got quite an important winner at Fratton Park. Yes, uh, and he, he would. He would score fairly, you know, probably half a dozen goals a season. I don't know how many he got that year, but typically he's one of those centre-halves that score you a bit like James Tompkins did a few years back for us, where he'd pop up and, and be very powerful in the opposition's box at set plays, corners particularly, and and, um, yeah, a really underrated player. So, anyway, so I digressed a bit. No, no, well, what about what about that Sunday at Ayrson Park? Give us, a, yeah. give us just a, a minute or so of, of what it was like in the away I end. I think that it day. was just... Uh, I don't know if, if I remember. I was 24 at this time. I don't know that I remember feeling wild celebration about it. More a bit of a relief, really, I think. You know, thinking... Right, thank God we got back quickly, you know, and that things didn't... Because you've got to remember that I was old enough, even at that point, at 24, to have seen the team of the 80s, the excitement of that and where we might go as a football club and how good we might be, to then, you know, being at Sellhurst on, in May 79 with 51, 52,000 people inside the ground, and then being there few years later for a game against Carlisle on a Sunday when about 4,000 people turned up. So you you saw quite big extremes there. And, you know, the sale of Kenny Sansom, although probably in hindsight 
it had to be done at that time began the sort of spiral of decline. And I think probably uh, I felt that the sale of Ian Wright may well have begun the same, you know, and probably there was a little bit there where you thought, well, actually, it's not so bad. We're going to be all right here and, you know, it isn't going to be championship football forever and a day. We've got a chance to, to get back among the big boys and probably having had three years or whatever we had up there before, three or four years, you're probably thinking like you start to believe you belong there a little bit more, I guess, you know, and and um, I think probably me being bullish at that time in my sort of late teens and early 20s, you know, would, was expecting Palace to go on and, and be the new Real Madrid. So it was well, probably... Uh, I, I, it was I, pro- I was just going to say, I understand entirely the the kind of uh, relief element because I dare say, having kept that squad together for one season, mm. it's unlikely that squad would have been the same going into the following season had it not gone up. The likes of Martin, Armstrong, Southgate probably almost would have would have had the queues out the door for them if, if Palace hadn't gone up that season. Hmm. We we then uh, played Watford on the Sunday at home and then signed a... Uh, oh, had we already signed We'd it? Already signed it. Why, but yeah. we, we, yeah, we, we already signed it. I was going to say we have to mention the first million the, the, pound the, teenager. Yeah, the first, the first million, million pound teenager as well. Yeah. Who was affectionately known in some circles oh, no. in football as the nickname Whoops. Because whoops, there goes a million. <laughs> and if you've yeah. seen him quite a lot, <laughs> you probably understand that. He wasn't my uh, he wasn't my favourite player to don the Crystal Palace jersey, I have to be honest. You know There's, if um, you ask me where he played, Jack, most of the time offside. people say offside. Yeah. He, but this he, yeah. this is Bruce Dyer, by the way. We haven't yeah, actually Bruce, sorry, Bruce Dyer. Yeah. <laughs> um yes. If ever a man had an appropriate surname, there, there's a couple of lovely clips from after that game, which will will bleed into the um, into the audio. Uh, the Crystal Palace are the first division champions for the 1993-94 season. Well done to Alan Smith and his team, his management team. It's a marvellous moment for him, a marvellous moment for those Palace fans who 12 months ago were bemoaning the fact that they'd lost their Premiership place. But Chris Armstrong's goal, there he is, the top scorer, his 24th of the season, has clinched Crystal Palace promotion here at Ayrson Park. And let's hear now from the surely jubilant Alan Smith with Jim Rosenthal. Alan always very calm. You must be tempted to go over and jump about in front of your supporters and celebrate here. Well, I think it's for the players, Jim. They deserve it, and the supporters. Uh, you know, they've worked very hard this year, and I'm pleased for them, and I think they should take all the credit today. You said before the start you were especially keen to go for as champions, and you've been as good as you were. Well, it was very important. we played 45 games now. We've got 90 points, or two points a game. And as you can see, you know, the supporters are delighted. I'm sure the people watching the game at home. I'm pleased for them. I'm pleased for everybody that's been involved in it. Gareth, the perfect afternoon, I would think. You got the Ensley Man of the Match award. You get a goal and you skip a team to the championship. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I thought I didn't think we played very well in actual fact, Jim. Um, first half we were far too open, and I thought it was going to be one of those days we were going to have to wait until next week. But very relieved and very pleased to have finished the season off in this way. You must believe that you are the best team by a distance in this division. Well, I think over the course of the season we've proved that. Um, Forest have come with a good late run, you know, and I think the two sides that have got automatic promotion fully deserve it, really. 
Do you feel when you go up that uh, this team will be broken up or do you think you've got the ability to do well in the Premiership? Well, I think I would just say that we're far better equipped than we were last season. Um, the majority of the side is the same and we've got the experience of having battled our way through and the young players that had potential have now achieved something. So, you know, we're very optimistic. What a contrast between here and now and this time last year, eh? Yeah, well, it's fantastic. You've I've seen the supporters out there today that you know it's a long old journey for them but they've come up in their numbers again they've been absolutely superb this season I'm just pleased for the manager and the rest of the players they've worked so hard all season right from the first day back just finally it's as often happens in these situations it's a quiet dressing room in there but I think they'll be a bit of celebrating round the corner on the trip back to London and next Sunday against Watford uh, oh I don't know Jim I think they take it in our stride <laughs> you best not come back to on the coach though <laughs> Okay, hey, well done. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. I think we started talking about uh, at the top of the podcast about Alan Smith, and I think given that he kind of oversaw the, the team winning, just another mention really for him and, and probably what was his greatest achievement in, in football, really, seeing a team win a, a league title, albeit the second tier. Yeah, and you have was... to put it in the context of what, what Palace have achieved in their history. I mean, that that is one of the few trophies we've ever lifted and to do it for a league is is more significant in, in many ways I mean it was given the I remember that sense of deflation when Steve Cockle left and you, at that point you did look at it and think wow well, where are we going as a football club you know Steve Cockle has been the glue to this club since the mid 80s um, we all felt a bit bereft I think when he'd gone but Smith provided continuity he was probably quite cheap so that probably helped with the chairman um he didn't demand a load of signings at the start of that season as a lot of managers would and he did a bloody good job really with that ability as Selzy detailed earlier of, of molding a group of some seasoned pros who really shouldn't have been playing at that level and plenty of young tyros who were waiting to make their mark at the top level um and he, he got a right a proper blend out of them and 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 it and it worked in, in many ways, look, it wasn't pretty every week. We, I, I said, looking back over that, over the highlights of of that season. I mean, my memory has played tricks with me. I, I my memory is is of as I say, Salako whipping it in from thirty yards, Dean Gordon cracking into the top left hand corner, and Chris Armstrong throwing these silky, wonderful, glorious goals. There was a lot of grot that we had to endure as well, but we grounded out because we had that bit of quality. We got 90 points. We yeah. won more games than anyone else. Best goal difference. Yeah, best goal difference. You know, 10 losses, it didn't matter really. Um, and there were some very, very good performances in there as well. But, I mean, look at see, I know, I know in the... In the mid nineties, we had we came close to bouncing straight back up, and then got promoted the following season. But we were appreciably weaker when we got promoted than the team that had been relegated. Alan Smith is interviewed at the end of that season review, and he he thinks we are going into that first sorry that Premiership season mm. as a better squad of players, better team of players than the team that got relegated in ninety three. And as you know, as daft as it is, he's probably right. Because you're going in there with a with a striker in Chris Armstrong that's had two prolific seasons under his belt, that all these these players have got points to prove. The ones that were relegated, they want they've got points to prove going into that top division. It was it was set up for Palace to do well in the top division, and as long as the panic didn't set in earlier, as Gareth Southgate says, there's going to be fragility early on when we go back up. We've just got to stay calm through that bit, and unfortunately. We didn't. We we started badly. 
we we slow out the blocks. We didn't spend enough money when we should have done then. And if that Bruce Dyer money had, had been spent on a, on different players in the summer of 94, we probably would have stayed up in 94, 95. Also um, falling foul of four clubs going down that 94, 95. Season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but you, you know, you know the rules when you go. Make your luck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that was typically us. I'm I, I recalling now, I think he came on a sub, Bruce, in that last game he of did. the season and got he a did. really big welcome from all the Watford fans that day. Probably helped by the fact they won 2-0 and they we did. were a little bit uh, off it. But Alan was somebody, like I said to you, I really liked as a character and really admired. Where Dom sort of said, you know, he probably wasn't expensive and stuff. That's probably one of the reasons that I admired him. He was somebody who was in the game because he really loved the game. Like he, Alan, I think when he was youth team manager at Palace, I could be wrong here, but I think he ran like some kind of property business and was very successful. So I think he was the guy that used to get up very early in the morning and go to work at sort of five in the morning, go and do his work, go to the training ground at nine go and do his work on the field with all the players and stuff and then go back to his other job later in the afternoon and carry on. So he was a successful man in his own right. And he'd done the hard yards, you know, managing Dully Jamlet and doing his non-league work. He loved the game, Alan. And I think, you know, being involved in the football business these days, there's lots of people in it who don't love it, but complain about it all the time and like to get as much out of it as possible. He was somebody I thought had great integrity, a bit like Roy in many ways, you mm. know, in that sense. How similar. You know, really good, really good character, good person, someone I I I really liked. And I was really um disappointed um you know, when he left after we were relegated the following season, he'd had he'd fallen out with Ron Nodes and things weren't good and and I remember sort of saying to him, you know, that I what a fellow he was and how I was sort of really disappointed and what a gent he was and he just somebody who was a good human and a good man, I felt you know, to, to end up sort of bowing out in this way probably wasn't wasn't right at that time. And because unfortunately, he, he, the sec, second time he came back, mm-hmm. he had everyone throwing their season tickets at him as he left the field at home to Wolves, which was particularly brave from the Crystal Palace element, showing their dissatisfaction and protesting, not 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 given that they'd torn out the last ticket. Last home game that of the season. <laughs> And there were two away games at Bombay and Stockport left. So it wasn't exactly the um, the biggest sign of their dissatisfaction that well, perhaps it might have been. As, as you both say, the following season didn't kind of follow on from the success of the 93-94 season. I had planned to not go into it, but you two decided that we would. Sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember it starting feeling really optimistic and full of, full of our, our young, vibrant team and now where we were going to do and then getting dicked by Liverpool 6-1 on the first day of the season. I listened to that on a radio while my mum and dad trawled the market stalls of Surrey Street. I remember listening to that 
So each, but it seemed like every market store that we went to, there was another goal for Liverpool. And somewhere in between it, Chris Armstrong got one. But every market store we went to, there was another one. Steve McManaman tore us apart. But anyway, this is all I about 93, 94, Selzy. I won't let I won't let Dom answer the question because he he knows. But young whippersnapper Jack, which player played seventy two minutes for Crystal Palace in that game and never appeared again? Raymond Wilkins. Yeah. Very good. Well done. Yeah. For a man of your youth, you've excelled, Jack. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, both of you. Thank you. That that's the end of the season, and you know we we've got hopefully some some references that fans will, will like for out there. We'll hopefully put some audio in there to take people back to some of those good days during that season. And and there's also some nice footage towards the um, the end of that season from the final day of the season, as you say, Selzy, ends in defeat, but it didn't really matter by that point. Um, we're hopeful that this isn't the final nod to that title winning season this year. So keep an ear out for something in the coming months. But for now, we'll leave you with the sounds of the end of year season awards hosting by the much missed Sean Hughes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back soon. Uh, but also, like Chris is playing the year, but today as well, um, we saw like 30 players get up in the men's book. A big cheer for all those players who are going on the pitch today. This goal. Network.